Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I want to take a few moments in this podcast to consider with you how the 2016 presidential election makes a case for reform, that we need reform in our institutions, we need reform in our election laws, we need to change the way things are done. A lot of people who are planning to run for office listen to this podcast. A lot of people who are in high office are listening to this podcast. And so let me ponder with you just a few things, a few themes that we need to consider as we move forward in this country and continue to do elections. The 2016 election with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and all the primary activity that came before really shows us that something is fundamentally wrong. And I want to say that I'm not a tremendous uh, advocate for Assange and WikiLeaks and all of the organizations that are uh, dumping emails and hacking computers and what have you. But I can't help but be grateful uh, for the fact that we're getting light shined on the darkness, that the light is shining in the darkness, that we are uh, seeing things we had not seen before, that some secrets are being exposed. I'm not happy when military secrets are exposed and sold or given to foreign governments, but I, I'm not too unhappy uh, that some background things, things normally hidden, are being exposed in this election. Uh, the fact is that with the rise of social media, with the rise of the wealth of candidates, uh, with the rise of individual organizations, some of the organizations that normally provided a hedge and a protection for the people and prevented corruption are not that effective. The parties, for example, the political parties that used to mediate these matters that, you know, we often joke about smoke-filled rooms, but the fact is that party leaders used to uh, meet with candidates and to select candidates and choose who should be run and uh, do a lot of the thinking, the work, the background legwork, the background strategizing and present candidates who were vetted, present candidates who were competent, present the candidates who had a chance to win and, and also, of course, to do good for the country. Well, the parties have really Uh, shown themselves weak and corrupt. Uh, The GOP, the Republican Party, could not in this election handle the abundance of candidates it had. Uh, It could not effectively handle its primaries. It could not uh, effectively vet a man like Donald Trump. In fact, Donald Trump essentially is the nominee for the Republican Party by having pretty much ignored the Republican Party. He has no respect for the elders. He has no respect for the party leaders. He has no respect for the Speaker of the House. Uh, he is a man who essentially has completely done an end run around the GOP. And when it comes to the Democratic Party, uh, we know, for example, that the Democratic Party was not uh, mediating fairly amongst its candidates and working to produce the best candidate. Uh, in fact, we know now uh, that the Democratic Party, especially under Congressman Wasserman, uh, was working against uh, Bernie Sanders was choosing, um, leaning against certain people, being biased, not providing support, channeling funds uh, in a certain direction uh, and, and against certain candidates. So the parties are not providing any kind of a hedge, uh, nor should I say is Congress. Some of you may wonder how it is that Congress might have anything to do with these matters. But 
a great deal of, of what's uh, deforming our election has come out of, for example, Supreme Court decisions. What we often forget is that Congress has the authority to decide what subjects, what arenas of law the Supreme Court uh, could uh, can rule on. So uh, the Supreme Court is not supreme in, in the absolute sense. Uh, Congress could say, for example, uh, we don't want the Supreme Court hearing cases on election law. Uh, we will decide that in Congress. Uh, that would be better. That would be improved. We've had some horrible decisions from the Supreme Court. I would suggest that the Citizens United uh, decision is a horrible deforming of our politics. And so we we uh, see little leadership out of Congress, so especially when it comes to uh, our, our elections. And uh, it, it could be that that's the arena where these things ought to be uh, decided if, if Congress will ever get off the dime on almost any subject. We've seen a great deal of corruption in this election. We have seen the famous email scandals with Hillary Clinton. We know without question that she lied. Uh, you've probably seen the video uh, in which the head of the FBI tells the facts as he knows them, and then some people have spli- interspliced that with statements made by Hillary Clinton. No question that she uh, did things that would normally have been considered illegal and uh, and then lied about them. We've also seen, and I'm not just uh, going against uh, the Clintons or, or against the, the left, uh, but we know that the Clinton Foundation, their private foundation, which, by the way, I know firsthand does a great deal of good in the world, uh, at the same time uh, has had a little bit of a feel of pay-to-play. Her, uh, the Clinton State Department had a feel of pay-to-play. What that means is that uh, foreign governments were encouraged to give to the Clinton Foundation or to uh, support uh, Hillary Clinton personally in some way or, or the Clinton cause, Clinton, various Clinton Foundation uh, outreaches. And uh, as a result, they would be given favorable decisions by the State Department or would know that they were going to be in favor with a woman who might be a future American president. Uh, all of that should, of course, be illegal. Uh, we have we have discovered, and by the way, I, I have to admit as a, an observer of these things, I did not know that it was not required of a candidate for president that they provide financial disclosures. Um, but Trump has refused to do so, and uh, yet his main claim to uh, to office is that he's a financial genius, a wealthy man, a man who's made brilliant business decisions. But we don't know that, do we? We have a great many people saying otherwise. Um, he's not uh, because he claims that he's in the middle of an audit. Uh, he's not willing to make a financial disclosure. Uh, and there are claims, of course, that he has very strong ties to Russia. And he's even made statements uh, about Mr. Putin and about uh, how he admires his leadership and so on. This is something we ought to know in advance. But apparently, it's only tradition and it's only voluntary that presidential candidates uh, make financial disclosures of the kind we're talking about. Um, I, I've also, I also think that many Americans are surprised to find uh, that once um, an election goes badly or once a candidate misbehaves, there's no mechanism for the American people to stop an election. I, th- I think it's not going too far to say that if, uh, if right now most Americans knew that there was a mechanism by which they could vote to stop an election and reselect candidates, I think they probably would do it right now. The disillusionment factor is high. Both candidates are the most hated people who have ever run for office. Uh, between the two of them, Mrs. Mrs. Clinton and Mr. Trump, uh, they are the most disliked candidates in American history. And this election has been an exercise in despair and disillusionment. Uh, but there's no mechanism by which the people can stop this election, and that's quite a surprise. So we don't have the parties mediating. We don't have Congress active. And what we need uh, is a, a greater democratization is a dissemination of power 
are the checks and balances that have made America great. Let me give you an example uh, of the kind of thing that scares me in this regard when we're talking about elections and we're talking about, you know, trying to trying to keep some of these excesses and abuses and some of this corruption from happening. What scares me is when, for example, people say we should abolish the Electoral College. Now, this gets into a certain amount of political complexity. But the fact of the matter is that the Electoral College, uh, in which there are electors in each state, and, and the, these electors, in, according to most state laws, are required to uh, vote finally for president based on how their states voted, their representative of the state vote, the popular vote in their state, um, the Electoral College is meant to make sure that candidates have to appeal to the entire country. If we abolished the Electoral College and only have elections based on nose count, based on popular election, a candidate could win a handful of cities. Let's say, I'll say 10. I don't know the exact number. I'd have to do the count and the population, total up the population of, of certain cities to see how it would work now. Um, but I've done these studies before. I've been involved in these studies before and, and you know written, written on this before. Others have written brilliant stuff far beyond mine. But the point is that if you only have a popular election, it would literally be possible for a candidate to win the president by sweeping certain cities, a certain number of cities, let's say 10, just for an argument, and uh, and completely ignoring rural areas. So, for example, uh, farmers in rural Iowa, ranchers in, in, in rural Nevada, um, who knows what, uh, other, other countries, um, I'm sorry, other parts of the country where uh, there are not high concentrations of population could be completely ignored. And a candidate literally could win the presidency by just simply winning a certain number of cities. You wouldn't have to literally venture outside of, again, just for the sake of argument, I'll say 10 cities, because the population would be superior to the rest of the country. You, you, could, you could win just by winning those cities. Well, our founding fathers were pretty smart. They wanted the Electoral College so that a candidate had to appeal across the board. You had to make your case to farmers in Iowa. You had to make your case to ranchers in Nevada. You had to make your case to retirees in Florida. You had to make your case, you, you understand where I'm going, uh, to, to um, cotton farmers in Tennessee as well as the urbanites in Nashville and Knoxville. You had to make your case to college students. You had to go beyond just the cities. And... Uh, that's the, so the idea of abolishing the electoral college, which Mrs. Clinton, by the way, is in favor of, I think is folly. And what it does is it concentrates power even more. We need a dissemination of power. We need a reform of our um, financial laws and we need some new laws uh, that have not been um, have not been in place before. For example, we now know that Mrs. Clinton was able to make speeches to Wall Street special interests, Wall Street deep pockets. Wall Street firms, and there was no obligation that the content of those speeches would ever have to be disclosed. Well, surely we ought to have laws on the books that say once you declare yourself a candidate for president of the United States, anything you've ever said anywhere, other than perhaps in court depositions or you know in the privacy of your own bedroom to your spouse, uh, ought to be um, disclosable. That that there ought not be any ability to hide it. Your financial form, your financial status ought to be disclosed. Your academic history ought to be ex- ex- exposed. Your your criminal history ought to be exposed. And of course, you, all of you listening to this podcast know that I believe that uh, you ought to be accountable for certain questions, like about faith, for example, and and, and other views of that nature. So my point is not to persecute candidates, and my point is not to uh, necessarily go after personally Mr. Trump or Mrs. Clinton. But I do believe we see, both in the, in the WikiLeaks dumps and the other hacks that have happened, and in the way that this election has unfolded, that we have an election happening 
that is um, that is exposing the weaknesses of our system. It's exposing um, some some areas that we need reform, electoral reform. Um, we've never had a man run for office who is as wealthy as Mr. Trump, and he's he's showing he can completely circumvent um, everything, pretty much go directly to the press. Um, the Clintons probably could do the same with the funds that they have. Um, it's it's possible for a person to run for president, circumvent Congress, circumvent the parties, um, not really have the kind of vetting, not really be required to disclose, and uh, then we find out things after the fact. It ought not be that way. Uh, and we're going to need some reforms. We're going to need some campaign finance reform. I know those are nasty words up on the Hill. We're going to need uh, some other kinds of reforms. We, we may need to have uh, an entirely new um, examination and an entirely re- new restructuring uh, of our electoral laws. Something has gone wrong in this election. And it's not just that the two people running for office are amongst the most disliked candidates in American history. Um, it is that there are huge gaps in what the people are allowed to know. Powers being concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. And um, we are, we are, I think, going to be the victims of that. There's another thing I might mention, and that is that should it be possible for a person to run for office who has not had a majority vote of his or her party? Uh, should it be possible for, for a person uh, to take the nomination who does who has not um, who has not had again as I say a majority vote in all the primaries or in most of the primaries uh, that is possible uh, it is possible for a circumvention I think we are probably going to be moving in the future towards a great many more parties I think we're going to be moving a bit more towards in some cases a parliamentary system where you have multiple uh, political parties uh, holding uh, certain seats. Um, and, and then you have more negotiation, more, more mediation, more, um, more banding together to accomplish political ends. Um, but this, this election is going to be a turning point in American history. Uh, it's either going to turn us more towards demagoguery or we're going to wake up and we're going to reform the laws and we're going to expect more and demand more uh, in terms of disclosure now, not in terms of some arduous, you know, violent process, uh, but just in terms of disclosure. We need to know more about our candidates. Americans need to pay more attention. They need to pay attention in their government classes. Uh, they need to know how government works uh, and they need to uh, be more involved. We have we are coming very close to the exact kind of demagoguery that our founding fathers uh, warned us about the exact kind of demagoguery uh, that r- helped to ruin Rome. We are coming very close to that same brand and we need to wake up. Our lawmakers need to act. We need some popular uprisings, some popular movements. I'm not speaking of violence. Now I'm talking about political reform. We need to insist at the state and local level, state and federal level, uh, that our electoral laws are changed and that an election like this can never happen with as little disclosure and as little accountability as this one has. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.